Chapter Two of the Domestic Slave Trade of the Southern States by Winfred H. Collins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: The Causes of the Rise and Development of the Domestic Slave Trade. The prohibition of the foreign slave trade by the states and the federal government is the first thing to be considered in connection with the development of the internal slave trade although before eighteen o eight all the states had passed laws to prohibit the introduction of slaves from without the united states yet each state had the power to reopen the trade at will south carolina perhaps thinking it might be for the interest of the state opened the foreign trade in eighteen o three during the four years following so many slaves were imported that the market in the united states became overstocked and many of the negroes were sent to the west indies for sale had the states retained the power to import it is not probable that the domestic trade would ever have assumed any great importance it is not likely that the people of the south and west would have paid high prices for the negroes from the border states when they could have been had from abroad for so much less the great profits too which induced men to carry on the domestic trade would have been wanting assuming this then the consequent low price of slaves in the border slave states added to the disinclination of many of these states to make merchandise of the negro might have led as the negroes increased and became a burden upon their masters to gradual emancipation in eighteen o seven however when congress exercised its constitutional right and prohibited the importation of slaves from without the united states after january one eighteen o eight the right of the individual states to import slaves from foreign countries was lost it is interesting to note that only a few years before the passage of the federal non-importation slave act the vast majority of louisiana had been purchased from france the acquisition of this territory had a wonderful influence upon the development and continuance of the internal slave trade of much less influence and we might even say of comparative insignificance was the florida session of eighteen nineteen in a very short time this fertile region of the louisiana purchase began to attract great numbers of immigrants who it seems often brought their slaves with them but there were many who still had to be supplied to meet this demand recourse was had principally to the exhausted plantations of virginia and maryland tobacco which had been a great agricultural staple in these states had worn out the land the price of tobacco too from about eighteen eighteen was very low and continued so until eighteen forty at the same time new states such as kentucky tennessee missouri the carolinas and georgia had become great tobacco states such quantities came to be raised as to make the culture very unprofitable in virginia and maryland the condition with respect to this section could be no better illustrated than by a quotation from a speech of thomas marshall in the virginia house of delegates january twenty eighteen thirty two 
mr taylor of carolina he says had understood that sixty thousand hogsheads of tobacco were imported from virginia when the whole population did not exceed a hundred and fifty thousand had the fertility of the country by possibility remained undiminished virginia ought in eighteen ten to have exported two hundred and forty thousand hogsheads or their equivalent in other produce and at present nearly double that thus the agricultural exports of virginia in eighteen ten would at the estimated prices of the custom-house at that time have been seventeen millions of dollars and now at least thirty-four while it is known that they are not of late years greater than from three to five millions the fact that the whole agricultural products of the state at present do not exceed in value the exports eighty or ninety years ago when it contained not a sixth of the population and when not a third of the surface of that state at present virginia was at all occupied is however a striking proof of the decline of its agriculture what is now the productive value of an estate of land and negroes in virginia we state as the result of extensive inquiry embracing the last fifteen years that a very great proportion of the larger plantations with from fifty to one hundred slaves actually bring their proprietors in debt at the end of a short term of years notwithstanding what would once in virginia have been deemed very sheer economy that much the larger part of the considerable landholders are content if they barely meet their plantation expenses without a loss of capital and that of those who make any profit it will be none but rare instances average more than one and a half per cent on the capital invested the case is not materially varied with the smaller proprietors mr randolph of roanoke whose sayings have so generally the raciness and the truth of proverbs has repeatedly said in congress that the time was coming when the masters would run away from the slaves and be advertised by them in the public papers it seems that agriculture had taken a new start about eighteen sixteen probably owing to the fact that tobacco was very high being from eight to fifteen cents per pound for colonel mercer in the virginia constitutional convention of eighteen twenty nine said that in eighteen seventeen the lands of virginia were valued at two hundred and six million dollars and that negroes averaged three hundred dollars each while by eighteen twenty nine lands had decreased in value to eighty million or ninety million dollars and negroes to a hundred and fifty dollars each but while agriculture was in such a discouraging condition in the worn-out states louisiana and other states of the southwest were being opened up and were looked on as the land of promise immigrants to that favored section wrote glowing accounts of the fertility of the country and of the delightful climate an immigrant from maryland writes from louisiana in eighteen seventeen do not the climate the soil and productions of this country furnish allurements to the application of your negroes on our lands in your state a planter with ten negroes with difficulty supports a family genteelly here well managed they would be a fortune to him 
with you the seasons are so irregular your crops often fail here the crops are certain and want of the necessaries of life never for a moment causes the heart to ache abundance spreads the table of the poor man and contentment smiles on every countenance in marked contrast to the unprofitableness of slave labor in the older slave states was their immense profit when employed on the fresh lands of the southwest some planters in this section had plantations thousands of acres in extent to cultivate them great numbers of slaves were required if the crop were cotton one negro was needed for every three acres and these would yield cotton to the value of two hundred and forty dollars to two hundred and sixty dollars the master realized upon each negro employed at least two hundred dollars annually the income of some of these plantations was immense it was not uncommon for a planter in mississippi and louisiana to have an income of thirty thousand dollars and some of them even eighty thousand dollars to a hundred and twenty thousand dollars eighteen twenty the enormous profits caused slaves to be very high in this section and in great demand there were only two possible sources of supply first the illicit traffic already spoken of second the domestic slave trade a good negro from twenty to thirty years of age would command from eight hundred dollars to twelve hundred dollars indeed it is stated that at one time during this early period they sold for as much as two thousand dollars this fact in connection with the fact that in eighteen seventeen the average price of a negro in virginia was only three hundred dollars and the depreciation by eighteen twenty nine to a hundred and fifty dollars gives us the reason for the rise of the domestic slave trade it was over and again stated in the virginia legislature of eighteen thirty two that the value of negroes in virginia was regulated not by their profitableness at home but by the southwestern demand the great difference in the price of slaves in the buying states and the selling states was an inducement to a certain class of men to engage in the business of buying them up and carrying them south the profits were from one-third to one-half on an average after expenses were paid slave traders soon got rich williams a washington dealer boasted in eighteen fifty that he made thirty thousand dollars in a few months it is said the firm of franklin and armfield of alexandria made thirty three thousand dollars in eighteen twenty nine in eighteen thirty four armfield of this same firm was reputed to be worth nearly five hundred thousand dollars which he had accumulated in the business ingram tells of a man who had amassed more than a million dollars in this traffic more instances might be given but this is enough to show that the traffic was profitable the cultivation of rice and sugar especially sugar used up slaves rapidly as a consequence slaves were in demand in the rice and sugar sections not only because of the expansion of these industries but to take the place of those that died in eighteen twenty nine the statement was made in a report of the agricultural society of baton rouge louisiana that the annual loss of life on well-conducted sugar plantations was two and one-half per cent more than the annual increase 
in eighteen thirty the hon j l johnson in a letter to the secretary of the treasury gave evidence of a thorough study of the subject and arrived at the same conclusion we come now to consider the one thing the prime factor which brought about the wonderful agricultural prosperity of the southwest cotton sugar and rice could only be grown in certain limited sections rice principally in south carolina and sugar in louisiana but the cotton field came to cover the larger part of nine great states until toward the end of the eighteenth century the production of cotton in this country was very small in seventeen ninety three however eli whitney invented his machine for separating the seed from the cotton this soon revolutionized the industry while the cotton crop of the united states in seventeen ninety three was only five million pounds by eighteen o eight it had increased to eighty million and remained about the same or rather declined during the war of eighteen twelve but the very year peace was established its production went up to a hundred million pounds and the year following eighteen sixteen to a hundred and twenty five million by eighteen thirty four it had grown to four hundred and sixty million during the whole of this period with slight fluctuations cotton continued high but after eighteen thirty five it began to decline and reached low water mark at the average price of five and three-quarter cents per pound in eighteen forty five which was scarcely the cost of production however the crop of eighteen thirty nine according to the census reports was seven hundred and ninety million four hundred and seventy nine thousand two hundred and seventy five pounds nearly double the crop of the five years previous during the next decade though the price went up after eighteen forty five the crop increased less than two hundred million pounds being only nine hundred and eighty seven million six hundred and thirty seven thousand two hundred in eighteen forty nine but during the following ten years it more than doubled being two billion three hundred and ninety seven million two hundred and thirty eight thousand a hundred and forty pounds in eighteen fifty nine of this enormous crop the four states of mississippi alabama louisiana and georgia produced more than two-thirds while virginia contributed about one thousand four hundred but virginia and north carolina in eighteen o one had produced more than two-fifths of the cotton raised in the country in eighteen twenty six when according to the official reports they reached their greatest production virginia grew twenty five million pounds and north carolina eighteen million pounds or nearly five times as much as in eighteen o one yet this proportion had fallen to about one-seventh eight years afterward virginia's crop had fallen to ten million pounds and north carolina's to nine million five hundred thousand and their production continued to decline hammond says that the higher cost of raising cotton in the more northern latitudes and the uncertainty of the plant reaching maturity before the arrival of the frosts prevented the rapid growth of cotton culture in these states after eighteen thirty which took place elsewhere especially as the continual decline in the price of the staple only emphasized the disadvantages under which the planters of these states labored 
but while decline was noticeable in the northern states the states at the southwest were going ahead by leaps and bounds the same year eighteen forty three alabama mississippi and louisiana from which no cotton had been reported in eighteen o one produced together two hundred and thirty two million pounds while south carolina increased its crops from two million to sixty five million five hundred thousand and georgia from ten million to seventy five million pounds during the same time as the cotton field extended of course the demand for labor increased and that labor was necessarily negro slave labor for it was thought that the white man could not endure work under a tropical sun while the organism of the negro was especially adapted to it as a consequence negroes were secured from every possible source in short negroes and cotton soon came to be inseparably associated the amount of cotton that could be raised depended upon the number of negroes to be secured to work it the value of a negro was measured by his usefulness in the cotton field debeau estimated that in eighteen fifty out of the two million five hundred thousand slaves in the southern states about one million eight hundred thousand of them or nearly three-fourths were engaged in the cotton industry leaving for all other purposes only about seven hundred thousand or about the same number as there was in the whole united states in seventeen ninety at which time the production of cotton was only one million five hundred thousand pounds thus it is seen that while cotton demanded all the increase of slaves from whatever source from that time forward all other things merely held their own however if we subtract the number engaged in the sugar industry which was a hundred and fifty thousand in eighteen fifty for the reason that it was a new crop developed during the early part of the century it is noticed that other things lost from this we conclude it was only natural that the supply slave population of the older slave states where it was useless was to be drained off to the cotton states some of the southern papers notably the richmond inquirer over and again called attention to the relation of cotton and negroes in eighteen fifty nine it says the price of cotton it is well known pretty much regulates the price of slaves in the south and a bale of cotton and a likely nigger are about well balanced in the scale of pecuniary appreciation End of chapter two